Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? Uh huh. <laughs> That's confidence. Let's go. <laughs> this week we're going to New York City to start out. We are doing the 1938 film Bringing Up Baby. I felt like after um, a couple weeks of horror, we needed a little comedy in our lives. Palette cleanser, a classic screwball comedy. Um, when um, museum, natural of history museum um, paleontologist David Huxley, Huxley um, is waiting for a bone to add to his dinosaur exhibit, he meets a... A hurricane <laughs> of a woman. A hurricane of a woman. Ahead of time. I really apologize. Comes in he and meets... destroys his life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a, um, a, a, little, a little bit of a hurricane that comes in and upsets everything he's ever known. Nice. Particulous. <laughs> Bringing up baby, it had its U.S. premiere at the Golden Gate Theater in San Francisco on February 16th, 1938, and its U.S. premiere November 23rd, 1938. It was produced by Cliff Reed, who also did The Informer, They Were Expendable, and The Hoodlum Saint. It was directed and produced by... One of the legend and icons in classic cinema, Howard Hawks. We've done His Girl Friday, which he directed, The Big Sleep. Uh, he also did To Have and Have Not, which we have not done, although according to Ma, we have done because she always. No, she references Key Largo. Mm. My bad. That, yeah, that's my bad. Um, yeah. But you still got me in the end. So. Rio Bravo. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and that's just the movies we've done of his. He yeah. also did the original Scarface. He was known for his Hoxian woman, and that was the a strong, tough-talking female character. The screenplay was by Dudley Nichols, who also wrote Pinky, which we did, Stagecoach. We did Pinky. Mm -hmm. Stagecoach, The Tin Star, and Dunga, Gunga Din. Uh, Hilga Wild, she's a woman. She also wrote I Was a Male War Bride, The Unseen, and Red Hot and Blue, to name a few. She also wrote the story that is based on um, in 1937. It was a Kohler's short story. The music is by Roy Webb. He did over 200 films at RKO, including Notorious, Marty, and Alfred Hitchcock's version of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, this then this also features the song I Can't Give You Anything But Love, Baby, Baby, by Jimmy McHugh and Dorothy Fields. And they also wrote In the Mood for Love. Dorothy Fields wrote The Way You Look Tonight, Big Spender, and Pick Yourself Up, to name a few. I mean, I know the words to all those. That's yeah, she's she was like one of the big time songwriters in what like, it's called Tin Pan Alley. I mean, she was so famous that her her words from Pick Yourself Up were echoed in President Obama's first inauguration. Starting Damn. Yeah, starting today, we must pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and begin yes. again the work of remaking America. Hmm. 
Let that sink yep. in. The director of photography, Russell Meddy, he also shot Imitation of Life, the 1959 version, which we did. He also did Spartacus, Touch of Evil, and The Misfits, just to name a few. And if that's your just to name a few of those movies, you're pretty bona fide. It was edited by George Hively, who also did The Informer, Above Suspicion, and Lost in Harlem. The cast. Starry. I mean, I'm going to call it because I'm a fan. American Treasure, Catherine Hepburn Mm -hmm. as Susan Vance. Um, At the time, Catherine Hepburn was born in 1937. I mean, 1907, it was shot in 1937, so she's 30 in this movie. She had already won an Academy Award for Best Actress in 1933's Morning Glory. She was also in the Philadelphia Story, which was in 1940, so it was after this. And then we also did her in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And she was also in other movies like Little Women and Adam's Rib, to name a few. Um, She had this quote, which I thought was great. Because people would say she's one of the icons of of the golden age of Hollywood and stuff. And she's one of these people who, when I was a little kid, she was still alive. And so she was an old lady. And I knew that, oh, she was a famous actress. But then when I was older and I saw her movies, I was very surprised that she was. I was like, this is Catherine Hepburn? Like, she, this is odd. Like, it, it was not what I was expecting. Um and so people would, yeah, people would have this knock on her. They're like, I don't know if she was really a great actress because it seems like she just played herself. And so she, I found this quote that she said. She said, show me an actress who isn't a personality and you'll show me a woman who isn't a star. I was like, Ooh. damn. Also, <laughs> one of the great American film icons, Cary Grant, as Dr. David Huxley, we've done... His Girl Friday, The Philadelphia Story. He's also in Notorious, To Catch a Thief, uh, North by Northwest, Sherrod, and That Touch of Mink, which if you're in Denmark right now, maybe don't touch the mink. Look that up if you want. Yeah, there's a coronavirus outbreak amongst minks, and they're like, yeah, it's mutated, and they're like, don't touch <laughs> the minks because we can't have this mutation oh wow yeah it's crazy there i, think, I thought this was my first Cary grant movie ever i think it might be i think it is and cat and catherine hat right mm, okay this is this is gonna be fun we also have Mae Robson. She was in 1937's A Star is Born. And she was also... Can I ask a question? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it M-A-E? It's M-A-Y. Oh, man. Yeah. She was also in Dinner at Eight. She was the cook. We Remember? We did Dinner at Eight. Yes. Charles Ruggles. He was Applegate. He was in It Happened on Fifth Avenue in The Parent Trap. Walter Catlett. He was Constable Slocum. He was also in Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. There's some there's a there's a tasty nugget about him. Oh yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. We I have a lot to it. he he might get honorable mention MVP because uh-huh. yeah. Barry Fitzgerald, he was the gardener. He was also in How Green Was My Valley. Uh, Fritz Feld, he's the German American actor. He was also in the life of the Secret Life of Walter Mitty and Hello Dolly. He was the uh, 
analyst in this film. Leona Roberts, she was Mrs. Holcomb's uh, servant and also the wife of the gardener. She was also in Gone with the Wind. She was like a rumor person. Chatty Cathy hmm. something or of sorts. And Ward Bond, in an uncredited appearance, was the motorcycle policeman. And he was Bert in It's a Wonderful Life. Hmm. And oh, okay. we have some actors... From the animal family, we have Skippy the dog as George, Mrs. Random's dog. He's a Foxwire Terrier. He was also in The Thin Man, and he was was trained by Gail Henry East and Frank Weatherwax, who remember Frank Weatherwax trained Spike in Old Yeller. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Most dog actors get... Uh, at this time, we get $3.50 a day, and old Skippy got $250 a week. Cause well done, Skippy. Skippy. I mean, Skippy was very popular at the I mean, time. I mean, he was trained by Weatherwax. Exactly. And he was in the Thin Man movies, so he was like a bona fide star. And he was also in the movie that Cary Grant did before this, The Awful Truth. Um, Nisa... N-I-S-S-A. That's the name of the leopard in this film. And in the film, it was supposed to be a Black Panther, but they couldn't find a Black Panther. And so they changed it to a leopard because this leopard, uh, Nisa, she had been, I don't know the gender of the leopard. They had been uh, eight years in films, mostly doing B films. But yeah, so. so. I have a question. Are all leopards that size? I don't, don't know. know. It seemed a little small. It's smaller than I thought a leopard was. Yeah, I don't know how yeah. young it was, if it was a full. And also, the thing about when I was watching the movie is that they do, they, they do you can kind of tell, but it was it still holds up for 1938. I like agree. The green screen. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not green screen, but it's like the matte kind of technology and stuff. It, it's pretty good. But I did wonder because, you know, nowadays we have the thing at the end of movies where no animals were actually oh, yeah. And I'm just I, like, um, yeah, no, my tasty nugget. Well, I don't know if it's that tasty, but yeah, I, it just said that the trainer was on set with a whip. So I don't think it was yeah. not hard. Just the way that she pulled him. Her, I'm assuming it was a female leopard. I was thinking maybe that's why she was a little smaller. Well, maybe. in that scene, I mean, not to step on it, but in that scene, what because I've watched this movie multiple times because it's on HBO Max right now. So you might as if you have HBO and you have HBO Max, might as well go take a look at it because this is one of those movies where you, you can't really spoil it because to me, all of the best parts are in the actual physical gags and hearing everything. It's not really about the story. But right. like, when totally. you're when you're what the first time I watched it, I didn't notice it. But when she's pulling the leopard, when she's pulling baby, it doesn't match up. Like oh, it's okay. one of those those for 1938, like special effects kind of things. And you yeah. can tell because the leashes don't line up. But you have to like this is probably the third. It was probably the third or fourth time that I watched the movie when I could see. Oh, because I had to read it. And then I looked and saw it. And I was pretty impressed that like you're it's one of those things where your eye 
just fills in that blank spot right. and they did a really right. good job but then when you know you can see like oh she isn't really pulling the leopard mm -hmm. okay okay but somebody okay. is <laughs> yeah yeah so those are the particulars okay well we it's a black and white film we start at the stuyvesant museum of natural history we have dr huxley trying to see where to put a bone on a brontosaurus dinosaur skeleton okay we've since learned it was probably not a brontosaurus it was probably an elaposaurus oh i didn't even know i was just saying I would, no i didn't i went with brontosaurus right off the bat though it the, it comes in it cuts to the, this woman and this older man they're they're talking and the woman's like shh dr huxley is thinking and the camera like goes up to Cary Grant, and he is in the thinky man pose, and that was the first time I laughed out loud because he was like, "Shh, he's thinking," and sure enough, he was up there thinking, and I'm like, "This is the kind of movie that this is gonna be." So if if yes. that tickled you right off the bat, enjoy, sit back and relax. And he has on round glasses, like Harold this Lloyd. Is, this is a movie where Cary Grant is not paid playing the suave and debonair no, bachelor. Yeah, he was very, very dorky. Uh, a dorky paleontologist. Well, we have a woman. Um, she seems very straight-laced. She has her glasses on a chain so that, like, like a necklace, so that she can put them on when she needs them, and then they just drop and move around and get real scratched up and such. <laughs> I actually have um, one of those from my great aunt because I thought at one time to have my prescription put in there and like do oh those stuff. yeah it's like a monocle but it's both of them it's a bimonocle yeah. but it's not the glasses and this one actually collapses so there's just one so the lens goes over the lens so it's just a nice look. okay mm. anyway um. We find out her name is Helen. She's an assistant, but she's going to marry David tomorrow. They're going to get married tomorrow. David forgot. And, and yeah, he, yeah. he said, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm getting married tomorrow. Um, how odd that two such important things happen on the same day. So he has finally, someone has found this bone he's been looking for. The intercostal clavicle. Is that a real name of something? I don't think so. Okay, this is like a, a nerd alert thing, but when I was in school, they taught us that K words are just funny. It's just funnier. So if you're into comedy, you want to go with Ks. And there's also this thing called the rule of three. Like you do three times. You, you know, do a riff or a callback three times. So the word intercostal clavicle hits the K's mm, and it funny. hits the rule of threes. And I'm like, man, these, these writers, this is like, we're in for some awesomeness. Keep in mind, this is also during the Hayes Code and this movie is really dirty if you're listening and paying attention. Oh yeah. Because you didn't mention that his fiance's name, her last name is Swallow. And that could be either a bird or when I, I read an article on Politico, something that she doesn't do. And I'm like, <laughs> also in that like first scene where he's trying to figure out where he's like, maybe this bone goes in the tail. And she said, nonsense, you tried the tail yesterday and it didn't fit. 
Yeah, and I just thought, oh wow. I'm gonna you know what? Because as Teeny knows, when you are taking notes, you miss a lot. You miss a lot of those little things. So I'm gonna go back and rewatch the beginning of this. Because I need to rewatch it because this is what I was gonna confess to earlier. Oh, the confession. Let me get my I, drink. We didn't know that yesterday was gonna be what it was. Exactly. Mm. So oh, I just had to spit out my drink. Doing. I got I was my plan. I was getting off of work at 7 p.m. We were I was going to come home, order some food, watch the movie, take my notes, get a nice little good night's sleep. And I was I rode my bike to work and I was rushing. I was literally watching see I had my phone on my on my bike mount. Oh my god. And I had CNN pulled up. Yes. I could not it was, it was like 7:54 and I wasn't home yet and he was supposed to speak at 8, which I should have known that shit wouldn't have started at 8. Right. So I was like watching CNN on my phone, got home, we had to watch all of that. Then you had to watch the news for a little bit. Yeah. Oh wow, look at Georgia, that. Georgia, Georgia. And then so then I watched the movie. So I was still like, I mean, the internet is yeah. going on right now. So I was like not paying full attention to Got it. it. You That's know, fine. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Be okay, so we're recording this on noon Eastern time Sunday. So decisions have been made. I watched the movie. I took Wednesday, the day after the election, off. I, oh, that was a good decision to watch it then. I scheduled my day off back in August. <laughs> I no, you know what? I don't. I take that back. I scheduled it halfway through reading Isabella Wilkerson's cast because I'm like, hmm, I don't know if this is gonna go the way that a lot of people right. think it's gonna go. So I took. I was like, I'm gonna take the day off. So Wednesday. I just spent the day doing adult things and I was like, I'm going to watch. Well, wait a minute now. <laughs> adult things all by yourself. Well, yeah. Meaning like drinking and stuff. I just. just there you go. There you know, I just wanted a little clarification. Yeah. Well, no, I woke up. We don't mean going to get an oil change. Yeah. <laughs> and doing taxes. Yeah. I didn't get my taxes done. There was no oil change. I did self-care day. I woke up at 6 a.m. I did yoga. I did my, my workout. I took a nice bath. I was Your idea of adulting and other people's... Right. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. I, I knew exactly where you were coming from, but I... You know. I didn't wanna, well, I didn't want to get on the... But you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, I had a beer for breakfast. That's That I mean, was how I, I started have, my day. I should have watched... Anytime throughout the week when I was just like watching the news constantly and they were saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, exactly. I didn't do that. I specifically was like, I'm taking myself out of this. It, I did my part. Now it's up to basically the dominant cast to decide, is it democracy or white supremacy we want to go with? What's going to be the American outcome? Based on what I'd been reading, it, it, I knew it was going to be a coin flip. So I sat down to watch it and I texted Ma and I was like, oh, you know, I had already seen this movie at least once and, re and I was younger and I remember really liking it. But now with all of the uncertainty of these times, I was like, oh, 
Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn may get some stray shots because I am not really in the mood. And yet this this movie, it turned me around and it had me laughing and chuckling despite myself. It won me over. So, well, and that's why I want to watch it again because I liked it, and I think I know we're not to the end of the podcast, but you guys know how much I love I love Lucy. Mm. Yeah, it reminded me of just a long exactly. That's exactly yes, man. That's a I never even made the I, connection. Yeah, I hadn't either, but that's a perfect analogy. Yeah. So yes, I apologize that I did not pay attention to some of the small details, but I would like to go back and rewatch it. It's yes. fine. Yes. Okay, so so I only have one and a half pages of notes. That's fine. Sweetheart. It's all right. I got back and front two pages. <laughs> We're good. Okay, so what's funny is to me that he is equating getting this bone mm-hmm. with getting married, like two very important things. I understand this is a huge thing for his profession to find this bone um, that he doesn't even know where it goes because it sounds like the intercoastal waterway to me but um, shouldn't your marriage be a little more important? But she didn't care about didn't she say she, like, she was like this You're is right. just like we're just getting married for you to do your work yes yes there was no like it wasn't was passionate no, this is like a business arrangement yeah right and on one hand, when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, wow, this guy, he, he's he he's so caught up in his intercostal clavicle and this thing. And he's thinking about his dinosaur. He found the perfect woman for him because he found this woman who was like, no, this is the most important thing you need to do. You need to do this. Yeah. I Like, yeah. oh, no, we're not. Get, like, why did it matter for them to get married, though? Was she did she have like a million dollars? Yeah, from a relative that was gonna give to him or something. I feel like it was probably just the time and the thing and it just lined up with them. I mean, how could you focus on your work if you're not married? Exactly. Like she needed to get married. She needed to have a husband. He needed to have a wife. And she was like, Well, here's this guy, like he's pretty good looking to look at, but he's all about his work. So and who knows what her real backstory is of you know that's true maybe too. she's not even into men and she's just like this right. this works this checks off all the balances a beard works two ways because the, exactly and she was he was like oh we're gonna go on our honeymoon because he forgot about the wedding but then he remembered the honeymoon and then she was like no we can't yeah she was like we ain't got no time for a honeymoon and then, yeah and then he and remember like this is the Hayes code so he has to say but what about kids Meaning like, oh, they're not going to have sex. We're not going to consummate this marriage. And she says, no, there is no time. You need to be all about your career. And my man is like, what? Yeah. (laughs) But I have a bone. (laughs) Exactly. Because she says, as soon as we're married, we're coming right back here. Nothing must interfere with your work. And then, and he's going, but what about, and she goes, our marriage must entail no domestic entanglements of any kind. What? Of any kind. And he goes, you mean children too? And she's saying our work will be our children. Yeah. She points to the brontosaurus. This is. Yeah. Yeah. That made me giggle. Well, because that's a lot of bones. I pointed to Tommy. Our marriage is pure, 
purely as a dedication to your work. And he wants a honeymoon. Yeah, he is. Well, she, he has. I mean, uh, there was, I did think that because of the type of movie it was, they just weren't concerned about certain parts of the story making sense. Either. No, mm-hmm, like, exactly. When in the beginning, it like he was trying to find the, like he had the last bone. He was trying to figure out where it went. But somehow he knew he was missing the intercostal clavicle. Yeah. 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 There, well, and Howard Hawks also said um, be, that everyone in this movie is crazy. And if he had to do it again, he's like, the thing, the lesson that he learned from this movie, because it wasn't well received by the public, we'll get into that mm-hmm. later, but that going forward, there needs to be at least one normal person. At least that's what Howard Hawks thinks. I disagree. I love that everybody yeah. in this movie was freaking nuts. Originally, it was three hours and 22 minutes. That's a bit long. So, the, I mean, Teeny wouldn't watch that. And and <laughs> no, so they know. had to cut out some content. I mean, there had mm-hmm. to be some content that was cut out. Think of the okay. gags that were just, there were just probably like awesome gags that were just cut out. That so just many, fit, exactly. But that would have been great. Well, this afternoon, he has to meet with Mr. Peabody, who is the legal advisor of Mrs. Carlton Random. Random. I love these names. Swallow Random Peabody. (laughs) Um, She, because she has a million dollars to donate to some endowment, and he wants it to be for the Brontosaurus. Well, for the museum. Yeah. Right? And something happens, and Cary Grant says, well, that's pretty white of him. This is when... That is what she said. Yes. So I was watching this, and I get to that, and I'm like, wait, what? And I rewind it, and I listen again, and I'm like, did he just say what I... I had to put on the the subtitles, because I had to read it, to be like, did he just say that was mighty white of him? Because... I mean, that's, yeah. that's an old sarcastic Bush family joke. <laughs> I have said that many times, but only within our family. Yeah, that's, that's one of those. Like, the family. <laughs> and like when it gets dropped, it, like because the family has a, that kind of sense of humor that it's hilarious, but it's, it's very well, close. Right, of him. <laughs> yeah. Well, on his way out to play golf, um, Helen yells, be sure that Mr. Peabody wins. Okay, so he, uh, so Cary Grant, he's not just um, dorky, he's also kind of bumbling. Like, he's he doesn't yeah. have an awareness of his body in space. He doesn't have and, an awareness that he has the face of Cary Grant, which is hilarious exactly, in this movie. <laughs> that, exactly. You don't know you look like that, my guy? So um, they're playing golf and Cary Grant keeps trying to talk business because I guess I, well, okay. He does seem a touch on the spectrum as in um, he doesn't seem to know the rules of golf or he knows them, but they don't matter because he really wants that $1 million. So he's talking as dudes playing golf and dudes going, when I play golf, I only talk golf. And that's only when we're not on the green. I know enough to know that you do not speak in someone's backswing. I did. I, 
who knows the rules of golf? That's the only rule that I really know is that, and that's from listening to to Tony Kornheiser. And I, well, actually it's just the dominant cast indoctrination that I've experienced within my life that I somehow picked up enough to know you don't talk in a man's backswing. Okay. Well, um, so Cary Grant hits a ball and I guess he chipped it or what? There's it, some cut it, he, hooked it. Yeah. Hooked it. He hooked, he hooked it. So it landed where he, it wasn't supposed to. I've listened to a lot of golf talk. It's That's interesting because yeah. I don't see golf talk as interesting. So it's not. anyway, um, he's, he finds his ball and it's, on the 18th hole and Catherine Hepburn thinks it's her ball. And so she is hitting it and it becomes that joke of, um, who's on first Abbott and Costello. Who's on first, um, what's on second. So, um, they have, um, and then they talk about what type of ball it is because she had a different type of ball. And if they look at the ball, they'll be able to tell whether it's his ball or there's a whole lot of them bantering and about the ball. And it's one of my favorite things that she does in this because she does something that I think is very difficult. And I think a lot of people will, some people will be turned off by Katherine Hepburn's performance in this role because she is what the kids would call today extra. But she does these, these small little things that just completely won me over because I'm just like, oh, this woman, geez, look, like she's just so much. But then like the thing with the ball, he says something about how it's a square and she's like, no, it's round. And and then she reacts to her own joke with this laugh. And that's, it's just this little thing like that that just wins you over because you know that she is in on the joke and she's just making herself laugh. She had multiple examples throughout this movie where she would have reactions that were just these tiny small reactions to things that just made her character so endearing that if you didn't have these reactions, at least in my opinion, she could be this grating, super annoying character. But these reactions made her, it was like that's where her character's humanity showed. Cause she she can come across as a Karen, mm-hmm. a total Karen. Okay, um, then she gets in a car. Now, back in the day, uh, all the cars were like convertibles almost. And then what? You didn't need a key. I had that in my battery heatables. There are no car keys in the nineteen thirties. Yeah, because she gets in a car that is like pinned in. Um, a parking lot but it's just grass and there's a car in front of her so she just chooses to ram the car in front of her to be able to get out and it's not even her car evidently it's Carrie Grant's car and so now they have they have the ball thing now they have the car thing yeah there's no valets at this country club no and she tears up the car and, and she's he's saying, you're tearing up the car. It's okay, I'm insured. And it's not her car. It's his car. She takes off with Carrie, Bo- Carrie Grant on the running board of his own car. He's old mom because it's his car. Those of you who don't know what a running board is. They do from like, the SUVs that everybody drives now. The thing you right. step up into to get into your you car. You step up to be able to get into the car. Okay. 
that scene ends. It's evening. He's in Tails in a nice restaurant. And Catherine Hepburn is at the bar. And she had the weirdest head thing on. It yeah. was like this ribbon. But then if you look closely, you could see like veil, tool material, really fine that was holding the ribbon that just like went around her her shoulder. It was it was so distracting. Yeah, that was so distracting for me. Okay, Um, and she is trying to throw olives into the air and catch them. Well, the bartender showed her a trick of throwing the like he picks up one olive, but he really has three in his hand, so he does two, and then he does this trick where he slaps the last olive into his mouth. So she's trying Ah. to learn bartender tricks. And of course she would do that. I can see myself doing that back in the day, sitting at the bar, you know. <laughs> well, martinis. Um, of course, Cary Grant comes by and slips on her olive and lands on the floor. A lot of slapstick. This the timing, slapstick. though, this is there's a lot of pratfalls, but this is the best time. One of the best time falls I've ever seen in my life, because Catherine Hepburn sets it up perfectly. It's, again, one of those moments I mentioned earlier where she's just, it's this charming reaction because she tries to do the olive. She tries to follow it off the chair so you know it lands. And right at the same time, Cary Grant comes, and he, I guess, got his start early on in vaudeville. And so he he was a a very um, skilled acrobat. He nailed that. He just rolls on it. His legs go super high in the air. He falls down. It's one of the great falls. It made me laugh out loud. Excellent. Okay. And then they they have a lot of banter again because he's like, why are you following me? Why are you here? And she's like, why are you following me? I was here before you were. Okay. Then she goes to a table who has a psychiatrist at it. And she's doing the flipping olives at the psychiatrist's table. And she's asking for advice because at this point we realize she's smitten with Cary Grant. And um, so she's asking for advice on why there's conflict in a relationship. And he's saying it's usually when the dominant person, a man, a white man, is interested in somebody, then he will cause conflict to have interaction with her or something. It's what she wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, he's fixated on her, and it's a love impulse in men, the conflict. So Catherine Hepburn stands up, and she's ditzy as well, and she takes the purse that was on the table, and then... She finds Cary Grant and says, oh, will you hold my purse for me? I have to go do something. Um, <laughs> no, she and- picks. So she picks up the purse. And when I first watched this, I because w- I'm, you know, you first meet her. She's in the country club. But you're just like, what's th- what's up with this woman? And then when it gets to this her scene. Her hair alone lets you say what's up with this woman. Yeah, there's just a lot like, OK, now you're in like. Did she know this guy? Did she spot Cary Grant on the golf course and decide to play his ball? Or did she just, is she just ditzy and she played the ball? And then she knew that it was his car because she just keeps drawing herself into his life. 
she happens to be at the bar. She does the olive thing. He trips and falls. And then when she's talking to the, the psychologist and she does the move, I see her pick up the purse. I remember like, oh, wait, she didn't have a purse with her. And then I think, oh, is she a con woman? And she just, I wow. thought that she stole the purse. because She would have been a cunt gone. Exactly. So I'm, I'm oh, did I not remember that from the first time I see this movie? And when she goes up to, to Cary Grant, she looks into the purse and she realizes that it's not her purse. But she gives it to Cary Grant, says, let me go find my purse here. You just hang on to this one. And so then she oh, leaves yeah. and that's how he ends up with the purse so then the the wife of the psychologist comes back and he's like i just had this wonderful conversation with this woman who was trying to learn olives it was so delightful and the wife is happy for him and says where's my purse and then a bit ensues and then a bit ensues at which point carrie grant says it will never be clear as long as she's explaining it because she is an over talker. She over, over, um, she, she just says way too many words, verbal diarrhea. And she, I was very impressed with how fast she could talk. Yes. Very fast. But also the thing is what she was saying, she was explaining everything, but nobody was listening to her. Well, they couldn't understand her because she was talking so fast. Yeah. That's very true. And then when you have your own thing to interject, you know, Cary Grant had his own point of view, but he wasn't allowed to say it. But then when he did, uh, it was okay. Well, somehow she manages to tear his tails, the tails of his tuxedos. Well, because he gets, he gets accused of stealing the purse and that's when there's the whole mishap ensues and stuff. And by this time, she took the ball, which basically took him away from Peabody, which was the million dollars that was going to be used for his natural history museum. Falls, crushes his top hat. Now he's been accused of stealing a woman's purse. He just wants to get away from this woman. And so he's going down the stairs to get out and she's running after him like, hey, hold on, wait a second. Grabs his tails, rips his tails. So he turns around and rips the back panel of her dress off so that right because he walking. says, "Okay, I've look, lady, I've had it with you. I just want to close my eyes, and when I open my eyes, you to be gone. I want you out of my life." But little does he know that he has stepped. He his foot is on a part of the back of her dress. So. She hears this guy that she likes give give her the kiss off. And so her feelings are hurt. And she says, fine, that's it. So she go- walks away very forcefully. And the back panel of her dress pulls off, revealing her granny panties. <gasps> In the 1930s. She's got on granny panties. And she's got on uh, stockings with seams. And she must have a garter belt. Probably. On. And so it's, that's all completely exposed. Her butt is just showing. And she doesn't know it. And so he realizes he needs to save, save her face. I mean, he can't let her walk around the country club like this. Um, And so he's using his crushed top hat to cover her bottom and she doesn't understand what's going on because she finally, because he just gave her, it was like, I don't ever see you again. And now all of a sudden he's, 
like every time she turns around, you know, he's doing the whole physical bit. It's a great physical bit. You got to check it out. It is. And so she realizes, so he's right behind her. Something similar happened to him in real life. And he had to walk a lady out of a, a situation. Okay. All he wanted was to talk to Mr. Peabody because he just wants this money from this ransom woman. And uh, so he doesn't even get to meet with Mr. Peabody that day. Peabody sees him walking out. And it does look like he's avoiding Peabody at this point. Um, he has to meet Miss Swallow. So go to River. Oh, so she goes, um, I know Mr. Peabody. He'll do anything I ask him to do. So we'll just go to Riverdale where Mr. Peabody lives. And uh, she calls him Boopy. So, so they go to, maybe they're out in the country, Connecticut or, or somewhere. And um, Boopy is in bed at this point. All the lights are out. And, and Carrie Grant's going, no, 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 no. You know, and she goes, no, we're going to, Boopy will do whatever I want. I've heard if you throw pebbles at somebody's window, they're going to come to the window thinking it's hail, and then we can talk to him. So she throws these pebbles. Well, they don't work, so she decides to throw a rock. She turns around and throws the rock just as Peabody sticks his head out the window and knocks him out. <laughs> and so and they who run does away. Peabody, well, she runs away. And so who does Peabody, the last person that Peabody sees before he gets knocked out is David Huxley, a.k.a. Cary Grant. So he th so Peabody thinks that Cary Grant knocked him out with a rock. Yeah. Okay, so she says, well, tomorrow we'll go see Boopy. And he goes, tomorrow afternoon I'm getting married. What? Um, he says to her, our relationship has been a series of misadventures, and I hope I never see you again. <laughs> Ouch. So you're saying there's a chance. Well, um, now Cary Grant is on the phone with Alice, his fiancée. Swallow. A package arrives, and it is the intercostic clavicle. Um, and then, where? good morning, David. Do you want a leopard named Baby? Where did? How did we jump she, to the leopard? Because she called. So the, the male guy delivers the bone. And yes. it's a phone call and it's Catherine Hepburn. Susan is on the line and she just randomly says, Hey, David, do you want a leopard? Okay. Cause it like, just, just come out of nowhere. Yeah. Who, th this woman, what is she? And then sure enough, a leopard walks out. She explains that her brother Mark is in Brazil and sent her a tamed leopard yeah. because what? Yeah, just because. So, so there no normal people in this movie. No. So, even Mark, who isn't in the movie, isn't normal. So he says he's going to come right over, because. But he's like, well, no, what do I do he, with the leopard? Well, no, she tricks him into it. So she's like, yeah, I have That's the leopard, wrong. and then he's no, I don't want any part of this, none at all. And then she trips and falls. Over because this is 1939, so the telephone has a a cord, and she's walking all around. So like she trips and falls, and 
He's like, oh my God, are you okay? She says, yeah, I'm fine. It's the, the leopard. And it dawns on Susan, oh, mm-hmm. he he thinks, if he thinks that the leopard's attacking me, he'll come over. So mm-hmm. like how you snared my father by leaving your Doobie Brothers album at his place to see him again. Do you forget nothing? <laughs> Yeah. Are you an elephant? Do you remember everything? He, he, she like really was like, oh, so then she starts clanking everything and yelling and stuff. And so then David thinks, oh my God, this, uh, this woman has a leopard that's killing her. And, you know, you can say a lot of things about David, but he is a good guy. He hears a woman right. being clawed by a leopard. <laughs> he decides, hey, I'll go help. Yeah. Clean it up. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, David gets there and he says he's going to call the zoo. And she says, no, 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 no. We're going to take him to Westlake, Connecticut. So um, he's, he's like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm, but baby follows him down the sidewalk. Baby. Well, this was incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Because the second I saw a leopard on screen, I was like, I'm in. I, I we knew, knew it. that. We knew we if knew you that. go back to the last episode when Turn we teased off, it, we're like, get away, Donald Trump memes. I'm 100% on screen now. He leaves, and she was like, all right, baby, go down the stairs. Because the guy, because David took the elevator. Right. And so a baby just walked down the stairs and started walking down the sidewalk with him, and he had no clue. And nobody's going. And they're in New York City, right? Right. Well, and this was before well, I mean, the naked cowboy. That's. I guess if you saw a leopard walking this on the street in New York City, you'd be like, "Huh, that's weird," but not doing anything about it. So. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, it wasn't a black man, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll deal with the leopard. The leopard gets in. The car. Okay, mm-hmm. somehow the leopard and ba- well, Ka- baby. Well, Susan le- walks up because you know she's Huxley's. Driving. Yeah, she's driving. Huxley's okay. oblivious to it. There we go. And then when Huxley realizes, then and the whole thing about like the song, I can't do it. That was the song that because baby was tame, quote tamed, but the song really soothed baby. The right. I can't. So they would always play that or they would sing that. And so baby gets into the car once David like freaks out and realizes. And so um, Catherine Hepburn's character, Susan, tells David, Cary Grant, well, you might as well get in the car because obviously baby has some affection for you. So she's driving. Baby is in the back seat. She runs into a chicken truck. She just flat out, because she's not looking at the road. I wasn't watching the road. No. Yeah. And she runs into a chicken truck. Well, baby had a lovely lunch. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like when you watch the scene, how were there not real chickens killed in that crash? Because I was like, ooh. And and she just decided to hang on the baby's tail to keep (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah, singing and David's a you can't. Because it's not like she knew this leopard. Like this leopard was just sent to her. It's not like this was her leopard that she trusted and she was like. <laughs> but even 
I know it's not going to do anything with to me. Right. You know, like if I grab onto Tommy's tail, he's not going to do anything. But if a stranger does, maybe right. he will. But also Tommy comes from a line of domesticated canine. And this yeah. leopard is wild. It's yeah. it, it just like, oh, I'm going to growl onto the tail so he doesn't. Cars don't have windows. So apparently. Yeah. It's, but it's it's everything is nuts in this movie. So you go with it. You go yeah, with her right. just grabbing the tail and singing the song with all her gusto to try to keep this leopard from devouring all of the dead chicken carcasses that are, what, 20 feet away from them. And then the fact that now we need to stop to find him meat, some meat to eat, even though he just ate a whole trick of chickens. Yeah, it yeah. could because Curry Grant goes, he just ate several chickens, some ducks, and probably a goose. I don't think we need meat for him. But, but, but uh, Susan is thinking ahead because, right. I mean, if you're out, you might as well pick up the next meal. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so somehow, so somehow, Cary Grant is chasing baby and ends up in a pond. Oh, they they have to cross like a little creek to get to where baby is. And she goes, we can walk across. And they step in and, and are submerged. Well, yeah, there's it, been a lot of, of things and baby escaping, so, right. baby jumping into a different car. So then cars, another car stolen thing. Like, yeah, there, yeah there's a lot going on. Well, um, so Susan is, is yelling at David for not running. And he said, Susan, when a man is wrestling a leopard in the middle of a pond, there is no running. <laughs> so he stops in town for 30 pounds of sirloin. And of course, 30 she pounds. 30 pounds. 30. Of course, she parked in front of a fire hydrant, you know, cast. She has no problem because she can talk her way out of a, a ticket. Well, the constable comes along and he's going to ticket her. So baby goes to the next car. And so she just steals that car. But my, to point, just to point out, if you can talk your way out of it, it's class and not cast. Oh, thank you. She's singing, I can't give you anything but love. Then they get to Connecticut and they put baby in like a horse stall or something. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I'll get the gardener to take the stolen car back after dark. Because the stolen car happens to, because, you know, this is the kind of movie it is. So it just happens to be that of the psychiatrist or yes. psychologist, whatever he is, the doctor with the German accent and the monocle. And David, all David wants is a phone. He just wants to call, you know, his fiance. Because he's still trying to make this wedding. And but he's, he's all dirty. Like, it's his wedding day, like, today. He Isn't yeah. it? I mean, Adam had to deal with a broken down Cadillac. But he didn't have to deal with a crazy woman <laughs> with a leopard. Yeah, Can you imagine, Dini? <laughs> Adam had to deal with this the broke down Cadillac. And then the mechanic was this crazy ass Catherine Hepburn woman. <laughs> <laughs> No. And, and there was a leopard involved. And you know he'd want to bring the leopard to you. Um, so. so he's all dirty. So he's going to take a shower. Well, she slips in and takes all his clothes because she wants to get them cleaned for him. But, but? being the manipulative woman she uh -huh. is. Game recognizing makes, game. She makes the... 
right? I was like, go girl. You got a shot. You only get one shot. You got to take it. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. She asks the housekeeper to take them to town. The housekeeper goes, I can clean them right here. She goes, oh, no, 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 no. Take them to town because we need this to last a little bit longer. Uh, it has been 40 minutes nice. and I stopped taking notes. All right. Go watch it, people. Okay. People of color. Okay. Well, there are absolutely none which is which is kind of weird when we get to the nerd alerts and discuss um, the origin of the song. I'm like, oh, interesting. So I'll just skip right ahead to the power of cast. <laughs> is any objections? Although I guess we could say like people of color, but it kind of does follow into the power of cast because when there is the scene with the circus, there is the the otherness of. What kind of vibe were they going for? Like, I wouldn't think Indian. Because remember, there, there was there was definitely um, a different, like, you know what I'm saying? At the circus, it had... I'm having trouble remembering the circus scene. Well, it was, it, it had, I feel, and I could be mistaken, but it did have, like, sort of an Indian-Asian kind of vibe. But it okay. was definitely... Okay. Like an other. Oh wait, that was thing. the. Uh, there were with the, the real leopard when they when they had to get rid of the real leopard. <laughs> they usually are acrobats. Okay, there we yeah. go. So yeah, so that was the purpose for the for the circus scene right. was to introduce another leopard. Right. Um. But other than that, none. This is a total movie. It well founded, solidly established in the dominant cast, like the because they're cast within cast, and this is the oh, top yeah. of the cast. This is the dominant oh, yeah. rich cast. Um. So, but when I was thinking about it, this movie, bringing up baby, when it came out, the critics really liked it. They really applauded it, but the audience. And they thought that they, they would be a hit because at the time, Cary Grant had just come off of what was like his big breakthrough performance of a film. It was also another, I believe, screwball romantic comedy, um, which was called The Awful Truth. And so people, audiences loved Cary Grant, audiences loved screwball comedies. So when this movie came out and it didn't quite do as well, everybody put the blame at Katherine Hepburn. And by this time, she had already been labeled as, by the Independent Theaters Association of America, box office poison. And so when yes. this film underperformed, all the blame went to Katherine Hepburn. And I thought that it was very interesting because in her career, she found the most um, success by, she always played the same role. So she always played like a tough, rich, high-minded woman who was mm -hmm. brought back down to earth by the slightly rough and good-natured males, um, a.k.a. the dominant cast. So, mm -hmm. like, there, there's levels to this cast thing. So, mm -hmm. like, when you look at cast, and it's important, like, like, we define it, so you think everybody goes to racism and race. Think of cast as a house. Cast is the wood, the beams, the structure that is, that is invisible in the house. And race would be the outside, the skin of the house. So even if you think of a body, cast is the bones, race is the skin. 
So within that, so the dominant cast, like the men, are putting Catherine Hepburn in her place. And, but this movie, though, that doesn't happen. And I thought that yeah. was interesting because this is one of her early movies. And I think that, like, the light bulb went off in her head. Oh, okay. I have to be put in my place because she in this movie, she doesn't get put in her place. She right. wins. Like She ultimately wins. And I think that it's very interesting that audiences when this came out didn't like that. Um, yeah, women. women what was that? Yeah, Women didn't even oh, like it. Was 1938. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the dominant cast putting her and her role, her position in the cast like that like i said that doesn't happen here she does though in the if you watch the philadelphia story which was how she went and you can go back we did the philadelphia story she bought the rights to that she made it happen with her being the star she does get put in her place um it's interesting listen to though like there is the whole myth that this was a box office failure but it's not entirely true like everything there you know it was a success in san francisco los angeles Portland, Denver, Cincinnati, and D.C. Oh, go Cincinnati. But it was a disappointment in the Midwest and New York City. Audiences preferred Jezebel, which is another film that we've already done. And to this movie, Jezebel, if you haven't seen it, haven't listened to our podcast on it, stars Betty Davis. She stars as a headstrong Southern woman during the antebellum period aka yes. slavery whose actions cost her the love of the man she loves mm-hmm. so i just think that's very interesting like well, look at the power of cast because mm-hmm. she wins in this movie and audiences were not having that um also for the power of cast i said just wanting to get a leopard because it's revealed that the her aunt Miss Random always wanted always wanted a leopard, which is, you know, what you do. And then also the servants in this film, the gardener and his wife are Irish. And that is the bottom cast in this Mm -hmm. film, which is interesting because like like black people are treated in this film as the untouchables. Like they just don't even exist in this world. Though the subordinate cast in this is Irish, it's very interesting, though, when you think of it, how the Irish, though, they, like, once the line gets drawn, it's like, well, we're not black. So it's always that to get up to that, which. But but the gardener was the one who was going to have to take the, the stolen car back after dark to replace it. I yes. mean, they weren't going to get caught with a stolen car. That. And I just wanted to, because of the week that we are in, to just bring up, because I've been hearing a lot in the news, and, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know where we stand on the issues, and so, yes, we are happy about the outcome of it, but there is, it is, if you're listening to this podcast and you're somewhat uh, disappointed that it was so close, and you wonder how could... With all that we've been going through with the amount of deaths due to coronavirus and the economy and the dog whistles and the assault on democracy, wonder how this country could still almost 70 million people look past that and vote 
for that other. It's a lot of people. A lot of people. I would like, if you are questioning why that is, I cannot highly enough recommend reading Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast. I would like to read just a portion of it to just give a little bit of insight because people are really reducing this down. They're talking about Miami-Dade County, how, oh, Cubans and Latinos, and completely forgetting that the reason that this is is it's because of caste. It's not because of race, because it's just it's because of caste. In the book, Isabella Wilkerson explains colorism in Cuba. There's a lot of Cubans who when it was like, can I get on the train when they were deciding segregation and stuff? And they were like, you're good. You're white. So there's a lot of yeah. it. I would like to read the beginning of chapter 20, the inevitable narcissism of caste to just put it into concept because I've not heard anybody on any of the news talk about the reason. And it is caste. It is the invisible structure that this country was built on, if you're questioning why so many people voted. So, quote, through no fault of any individual born into it, a caste system centers the dominant caste as the sun around which all other castes revolve and defines it as the default setting, standard of normalcy, of intellect, of beauty, against which all others are measured, ranked in descending order by their psychological proximity to the dominant caste. So when you wonder how did somebody gain in votes amongst black men, amongst black women, even though it's marginal, amongst Latinos, all of that, Mm -hmm. it has to do with caste. It has to do with the proximity to the dominant caste. Mm -hmm. Think about that saying, if you can't beat them, join them. Like there's other layers to it, but nobody is discussing that that is the basis of which all of it is. And it's unconscious because caste is that which you cannot see. So people will say, I'm not racist. I voted for him, but I'm not racist. But you do believe in the caste system and you don't know it because nobody talks about it. Exactly. It's never been put in front of your face before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There we go. That ends the power of cast. Okay, the power of cast. Okay, so we're to reheatables. I have a few. I'm going to start with, wow, I was so surprised when he was in the Connecticut home taking a shower. She takes all his clothes. So he puts on the only thing in that bathroom, which is a frilly negligee type robe that is see-through with a lot of foo-foo on it so he's walking around in a very foo-foo chiffon (laughs) robe and the aunt comes in and says um who are you what are you doing and he says i just turned gay (laughs) i was so surprised to hear that term i did see that just a moment um the term was, uh, it's the first time that term was used in a film as um, expressing someone who is um, homosexual. It, in 1920s was the first time that term was used that way, but it wasn't until the 60s that it became like a slang the stone, term. Yeah, the Stonewall Riots. The, so Yeah, uh, the gay became a descriptor of homosexuality. 
Right, right. And it was an ad lib from Cary Grant, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Well, because that's one of those things, like the mainstream, but how many things, like with all slang and stuff, are they... He was in Hollywood. I mean, George Cukor. You know, if you watch... What was that? Hollywood on... On, uh, you know, yes. that. And if you watch a documentary, it was... There's some gas station attendant like that in real life was organizing all of that. And there was always rumors about that with Cary Grant and bisexuality right. and stuff. And so he would have known that that's the term. And like that, yeah, that was an ad lib on his part. And it was it was a, a funny moment in the funny moment. But. OK, Um Okay, so I had two thoughts uh, when I was watching the movie. Like, at the beginning, she's really overbearing with her ditzy manipulativeness. Mm-hmm. And you said, if you watch it and then you see that she's in on the joke, that that tames it a bit. You do, yeah. ki- you do kind of uh, uh, work through that and, and go to her, but... You know, like the the men who would go, oh, she's just another manipulative bitch. Um, she's out looking for the leopard with a butterfly net. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, women are are often accused of verbal diarrhea and over talking. She she did that a bit, and I didn't like the pulling of the leopard. But you said she wasn't pulling it, but somebody was. Well, but she was supposed to like yours meant to believe that she's dragging this leopard in, right? But right. it is kind Just of funny around the throat because they didn't have the <laughs> yeah, there was no the body armor type, and also because the joke is that she thinks that it's this tame leopard, but really that's the murdering leopard. That's. <laughs> Yeah. on the loose yeah it's a, it's a funny yeah it's a funny and joke. she and she even had she's like you think that you're more stubborn than i am but i assure you you are not i wish i could tell you how many times i said that to a student in one of my classes yeah. <laughs> you have hit the blue wave sorry um other negative reheatables um i said why don't they have a leash yeah like it's an animal wouldn't that have made sense? Yeah. Yeah. The leash on the wild leopard. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was a domesticated leopard. I put Georgia's barking. Oh. It was terrible. Yes, it was. You're right. The shrill. Like, I could not have a dog like that. Right. Um, I mean, I could, but... <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, who are we kidding? I don't want to rule out any kind of dog here. If it were, were that or the uh, the shot that was going to take him to doggy heaven, I believe you could. Yeah. Um, and then the delivery of the bone. It just, it's this bone and they just deliver it to his house instead of the museum, first of all. He just like open it right out of the box, no gloves. He's like on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just like leave it on the bed at one point. <laughs> yeah, no surprise that George got a hold of that shit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Those are my negatives. Excellent. All right. Well, at one point, um, what's this? David has to stomp on uh, Susan's foot to get her to shut up because he has something to say. I was like, oh, man, physical violence. That's an- that, that hasn't reheated well. Um, 
David forgetting that he's just going to get married tomorrow? Well, that's just true. slipping yeah. his There's mind. That. I already mentioned that like, cars don't have keys in the 1930s. I didn't get to look that up. Um, uh, oh, when Applegate, he has the leopard call. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Ooh. But it sounds just like a leopard. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um. Oh, I just how like David is so inept around women and so blah, yeah. but like he's gone to school and he's at least enough a part of the dominant cast to to go and golf and stuff. And they, this is the first time that he's run across a very persistent woman. And he doesn't, it's that whole thing that I think about with people who are really good looking and just how the world yeah. treats them compared yeah. to how the world treats the rest of us. And it, at, at what point you would think that at some point in his life, it would have kind of kicked into him. Oh, I look this way. I can kind of, but at the same hand, it was refreshing that he was just so, yeah. that his character was just so oblivious to it. True. So, um, how old is Susan supposed to be in this? Is she supposed to be in her early 20s? Or is she, you know, is she like 18, 20? Or is she older? Because she doesn't... I, I am I envisioned older. Yeah. Like almost to the point of being desperate. Oh, that is interesting. In 1938? Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, by the time she's 30, she would have been just full on scene spinster i get i'm thinking right, so right. um i like that she ruined okay applegate going to the showing up at the police station with just a gun just out yeah. in his hand <laughs> and they even say i like but then the good readable of that is them pointing it out what are you doing here with this gun and he's like i'm hunting leopards and that's hilarious just in the context and he didn't end it. up dead yeah yeah, exactly. He was allowed to walk, just walk into the station with it. Um, again, where's the valet at the country club? Like, <laughs> is this movie so concerned with the dominant status that they like, yeah, we don't even have valets because that would mean employing black people and they just don't exist. They didn't even have a black jockey the, statue. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Um, that's the... Uh, um and then how she just completely ruins David's life <laughs> by the end of every the movie aspect every aspect of his life is completely ruined and i was thinking about it because miss swallow yeah you know she's very sterile very sterile woman and stuff but at least she was just hey you go and do your i think there would be a lot of men who would be down for Miss Swallow of like I just oh, yeah. get to go ahead and and put my career first and I don't have to pay any attention to any of this and like check in and how are you doing and stuff and then this woman just comes in and ruins everything like ruins the whole everything of his life but then I was thinking oh yeah he actually ends up winning because she's rich so <laughs> And he's gonna have a honeymoon. Yeah, he's yeah. he's rich, so it's like I I guess I could put up with these shenanigans. So that's 
my oh but then also the bad reheatable is like she finds out that he's gonna get married tomorrow and that's like oh there's a minor roadblock i got exactly. this oh, oh yeah so. well, j- just let me work my magic yeah those and are- again that ribbon veil thing that okay positive reheatables mm-hmm. i have hannah's shots what does that mean Hannah's shots. I Who don't was, know. Hannah was Hannah was golfing like shots. No, Hannah was the the um, housemaid, mm-hmm. the housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Do they Hannah, take the shots? I don't know. I, I don't. I don't either. I'm gonna have to. Or I'm gonna have to rewatch it. And yeah. See, yeah. Who knows? See why I wrote that down. That's a nice Easter egg for the listeners. Hannah there you shots. go. What is Hannah that? Hannah shots. When you figure it out, <laughs> you let us know. And Cary Grant being a nerd, I thought that was a an excellent. He did it so well. He was really good at it. His reaction shots were great. Um, I put Susan talking so fast. I mean, she, there was one scene where I was like, "Oh my god, how is her?" Lips even moving that fast, but it reminded me of myself. Um, She could be Lafayette in uh, Hamilton. Yeah. One time when I was uh, in fifth grade, I got to give a speech at graduation. And I don't remember what it was about, some book or something. And my mom said that I talked so fast that nobody could understand what I said. (laughs) You were just Catherine Hepburn. Um. The leopard is like Tommy in the car. Oh, the way when they got in the car and they were riding and he was just like in, in between them with his like hands on the uh, armrest. <laughs> um, I had George as a dog's name. Yes. Voice. It is. It is. Um, the, si- the scene where they're, sing- they're all singing the- that song to baby well, when baby's on the roof. Yeah, and they're howling. The dogs howl. George yeah. is howling, and baby's howling because they're not singing well. But I'm like, that's how I sing. I loved it. And I don't know what this means, Ooh. but I wrote, "I want to be in the Leopard Gang." Well, that we'll get to that. That's we'll, we'll get to that, TD. Trust me. Yes, I remember what that means. Oh, oh, well, cool. I know exactly that what do. that means. <laughs> yes. I love that Teeny had wrote down something she wasn't, she didn't know what it meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Aaron, my, positive. My positive, the names are Peabody, Applegate, Swallow, Random. Love it. Um, Susan, it's, there's so much with Susan. Like when she gets, they're walking through this pla- this brush, and Carrie Grant is in front of her, and she just keeps getting slapped in the face with the branches. She's like, "Hey, maybe I can lead," and he's like, "No, nah, I don't think so." She's just is getting smashed. Um, Carrie Grant in a tuxedo. Whew, mm-hmm. Man, mm-hmm. he just knew how to wear clothes. Um, all the bits in this, like I mentioned the bits with the purse, the bits with the apple, I mean the olive, the bits with the dress, the timing of all that. There was this mm-hmm. one scene, I think it's when it was in the car when baby was walking alongside and Cary Grant steps down and he gives another like, get out of my life. And he turns around and just falls over because he tripped on the curb. I did that. 
in real life. I was getting out to go to eighth grade. I had my oboe case and I turned around and did thought I was on the sidewalk and I was not and just hit the curb. And it was so loud because I did a T flop with the oboe case and it was just super loud. But I howled when I saw that because I'm like, I know exactly those curbs. You think you're on the sidewalk, but you're not. They can be dangerous. Bethany Beach, that's why I fell down four times. That, that, yeah, and you did the whole clank, clank with uh, all the chairs as well. I had yeah. chairs and beach bags and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, man. Poppy and I were like, who is that woman? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Everybody else was rushing to help me, and I'm going, no, Corona, six feet. <laughs> <laughs> stay away, stay away. Um. The comedy writing of this, there's so like this is in the haze code, and they skated by. They, the writing in this was so sharp that the only objections I think that they had were they didn't like seeing Catherine Hepburn's granny panties, and maybe there were some references to some real life politicians that they were like, eh. but they let so much stuff fly. When I get to my quotes, you're gonna be like, "Excuse me, what?" Oh, and wow. that's I'm gonna watch this just again. how sharp as soon as it we is. Stop. Because I already mentioned the rule of threes: intercoastal clavicle. I mean, th- it's just funny. Say it. It's funny. It is. It is. Uh, like the double entendres, how at one point Cary Grant's character is known as Mr. Bone. Um, we already mentioned how the bone goes in the tail. He's like, I tried it last night. It wouldn't fit. Just all of that. It's why this movie was ahead of its time. When it started getting replayed, it got re-released in the 40s. More people watched it. But it really came into its own in the 50s when it appeared on television. I think people were like, excuse me? What? <laughs> huh? Um, I, I put huh I don't I don't know what the good I put mail so I guess we all have excellent we all have notes that so we don't that we have no idea what the hell that is okay M-A-I-L or M-A-L-E well it's either mole or mail because it's it's M-A-R-O-L-E so don't know what that huh. was all right a uh, free T-shirt to whoever, whoever figures out our three questions. All right, you're taking care of that, Ma. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just a plain white tee. <laughs> One of our listeners already got a plain white tee. Um, quotables. I got some. Okay, I did a few when I was doing my retelling. Mm-hmm. So I am done with them. Do you want to go first? Um, I already did my. That's what she said. One. Mm-hmm. Um, but also what he said, oh, Alice, it's, oh, it's something, uh, the inner costal clavicle. Yes. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that the most marveling wedding present? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's what you... I'm sorry. I didn't get you an inner costal clavicle. clavicle. I don't know what this one word says. I can't even make it out. I like how um, it's it's 2020 yeah. and we all handwrite our notes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Susan, it would be if I texted them. My God, I wouldn't be able to read anything. We'll type on the computer. Why don't we type them up? I don't type them up because I it like would, physically so, writing. I do too, but it would take so much less time. The amount of time I have to pause to write. 
Anyway, Susan <laughs> says, don't worry, David. Everything's going to be all right. And David says, every time you say that, something happens. Yes. Yes. Because yes. <laughs> she uh, says it a lot, and, and a lot of things happen. Those are mine. Excellent. Oh, me? Yeah. Oh. All right. When they walk into the river, she's like, oh, we could we could cross here. And they fall the way in. And she comes out. And she's like, the riverbed changed. Yeah. <laughs> um, when when they, at the very beginning, the thing that made me put on the closed caption was, that's pretty white of Mr. Peabody. That's right. I know. And then at the same thing, I guess he David says something later. And it's the same early scene and his fiance, Miss Swallow. And I keep in my head, I'm like, doesn't swallow. It's just an extra <laughs> joke. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, damn, this movie's dirty. She says, David, no slang. Remember what and who you are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then when we first meet the psychiatrist, the doctor, the mental doctor, um, and I think Susan says something about crazy, and he says, we dislike that word. All people who behave strangely are not insane. And yes. I, I thought that that was very interesting. Um, also because at this, like, you're kind of seeing it how, I mean, America as a country should really go to therapy. Like, as we yeah. are seeing, we all just need therapy. and therapy. Just a giant, a like the country, like America just needs to sit down in a therapist chair and just be like, so we had this thing called slavery and it was very uncomfortable and we just really don't want to talk about it, but we kind of really need to. Um, <laughs> so then the other quote, okay, somebody says, oh, when they're at the, when they go to the, they're at the circus and they're like, we need to get this, um, we have this leper we need to take care of. And somebody says, bad? And he goes, bad? You don't three think three minutes alone with that cat did him any good, do you? Because <laughs> the whole reason they need to do whatever it is with the, to get rid of the leopard is because the, the new trainer went in and that leopard was like, Rah! pulled the, yeah. what was it, Siegfried and Roy on my guy. And the, Ooh, they're like, oh man, he has, he has tasted human flesh. He needs to be dealt with. And then this one I didn't discover until last night when I was listening to it because and then I had to put on the subtitles and the subtitles cleverly kept like did not write up a portion of this when Catherine Hepburn's character is in the jail. She says this. And this one she's being in her it's my my favorite scene when she's being the the gangster and she says you want someone to talk to don't you well yeah get me out of this cooler and i'll unbutton my puss and shoot the works <laughs> real i did not i, 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 did this I was just laughing so hard at that scene because before i started watching the movie adam was like oh what movie is it or he like picked up my notebook and he was like, ah, bring it up, baby. 1938 mad co comedy. Ah, so they're going to talk like this, aren't they? And then she said that. <laughs> and when you watch it with the, with the closed caption on, they skip the part where she says, I'll unbutton my puss. Oh, my God. Because wow. I was listening to that last night. 
Again, this is last night. Just before, I'm like, oh, I'll just turn it on. I'll fall asleep to it. And she says, oh, I'll unbutton my puss and shoot the works. And then it cuts to a hilarious reaction scene of Cary Grant doing what I was doing. The, did she just, what in the, how? Shooting oh the works from her puss? That's super dirty. How did that get by the censors? Wow. Yeah. So. That's a quotable. Wow. Okay, we are to LVPs. Mine, my first one is manipulating lying women. (laughs) But they they can use their power for good, so. (laughs) And my other one is carol baskins domesticated big cats just let them stay in their natural environment i'm gonna be honest i didn't have one. Oh, um but now that we're speaking i agree with domesticated big cats they should like let them live in the wild um, and also now that we're speaking the fact that it was not like thinking about cast and them not like the audience not liking it in these certain places because she didn't get got exactly and they and it's not i don't think that that's even that people were even aware of that no yeah you know like it just knew they didn't yeah yeah oh my my lvp is uh just poor miss swallow she just thought she had done, checked off everything she needed to check yeah. off. and But did she really care? I, mean, I, I didn't, didn't feel bad for her. I didn't feel bad for her, but I needed an LVP. And yeah. They, the, okay. the constable was too hilarious for me to give him the LVP. Like, everybody yeah. was too funny. She was the unfortunate one who... And nerd alert with her. She... Wait, we didn't do the nerd alerts. Oh. We skipped nerd alerts. Oh, my God. We did. I just went to reheatable. Yeah. I have a bunch of nerd alerts. Okay, let's go to... Well, do your LVP. Let's do our LVP and MVPs, I guess. And then then go to nerd alerts. Okay, well, so Virginia Walk was the actress who played Miss Swallow. And... She was a model and made her, this was her film debut. And she, something happened where she got out of a contract. Like she was personally found by Howard Hawks. And then she ended up marrying Howard Hawks's brother and they divorced in 1942. And you could kind of, I think she was maybe in five movies and stuff. Um, But I did think it was funny because the first time I saw her, I was like, wow, she's, I, I laughed at the Hollywood system of like that's a really attractive woman that they're making into this dower. <laughs> like she yeah. was so attractive that even by the dowers, I was like, she's still really attractive. That's hilarious. And so it was just because I thought that she had checked off everything and like had had found her man and stuff. And then this woman just comes in and and rides roughshod. And I was just like, oh, oh well. So. That's why there's really no LVPs because she probably got to go off and live her full life. I hope she did. You know, she was like, "I'll show you, Swallow." 
<laughs> okay, my MVP is dorky Cary Grant. Hmm? My MVP. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you done? <laughs> yes. Oh. My MVP is the moment I found out baby was a leopard. <laughs> we knew it. Yeah. We called it and last week. Like, oh my God, you said that. And I was like, immediately like, oh wow, holy shit, this is real. Mm -hmm. Yep. You're welcome. My MVP, I got to go honorable mention for the scene where Cary Grant, because also Cary Grant's awesome, but when he goes over and the same with Teeny finds out that the leopard is in fact real, has the reaction that I would have, which is getting up on a table and being like, this is a wild animal. Yes, he is gorgeous and beautiful, but there is nothing separating me from his wildness. What are exactly. we doing? Has I he looked, been declawed? Yeah, I, I looked at that and was so. like, that would be my reaction. But my real MVP is Catherine Hepburn. Specifically, like I already mentioned the little tick she does, but the scene with Teeny mentioned when she's in prison and her escape from prison, when she mentions the leopard gang and how she's swinging door Susie and she gives the quotable that we already did, just the whole, the, the, and the whole thing of how it dawns on her, you can see it in the background because Carrie Grant's talking to the constable who also honorable mention MVP because this guy, the constable, I mentioned his name already. He was, Catherine Hepburn was very self-aware and um, what is it when you're not confident and in, insecure in her comedic abilities? And this yes. guy was a per, like a vaudevillian. He yes. was a vaudevillian performer and comedian. And she was overacting. She was going way far. And he was like, look, watch these scenes. And so he would act with Cary Grant, who also had a vaudeville past. And he said, look, do you see how it's funnier when I'm serious? And you can see it in his performance. He's completely serious and he's hilarious in it. And he really coached Catherine Hepburn up to bring out and and be more serious and more deadpan. And so he's an honorable mention. Because she was mention. trying too hard to be funny. She was, yeah, she was trying to be funny. Yeah. And so he was just like, just be natural and it will come across as funny. Her jail scene, when you see it in the background, she's like, hey, hey, hey. And then, and because you, you could see her body change. And then he's like, huh. Come on, I forget what because how she says it is hilarious to me to get him to come over, and then she starts doing the ah, you see, come on, swinging door, Susie. I'll tell you. And then when he she gets out to go sing, and she's like, Well, there you go. And she does this whole thing to the jail. So I was like, It's every man for himself. And she like goes walking and she refers to um Carrie Grant's characters, Oh, you mean Jerry the Nipper? Yeah, I'll sing, I'll sing it all. And she's going out, and when she asked for a cigarette at one point in the doc and takes the stogie and spits it out and, and then gets a cigarette and like pockets the case and, and the guy's like give me back my cigarette he's like oh it's an old habit it's <laughs> it's a fant it's fantastic and i'm like chef's kiss ah excellent okay take us back to nerd alerts Aaron. oh man all right well bring it all down so, nerd alert. So, it's set up in 1938. What was going on? This is the first time Daffy Duck got his name. He was in a in his like the Mary Medley short, Daffy Duck and Egghead. So, that's 1938. 
The March of Dimes Foundation was founded to combat really? infant polio, and it was started by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was the yep. president at the time. Um, and the father of polio. <laughs> the father, okay, sure. the father of polio. I just dubbed him that. You know that it had been eradicated. Like, it had been completely wiped out because the, everybody was on and the vaccinations, and it's like, science right. works. Science works if you let it. Um, yep. Thornton Wilder's Our Town was performed for the first time. Wow. Every high school yeah, production. Yeah, 1938. All right, 1938. A lot of shit popping off in Germany. So you had Hitler taking control of the <laughs> oh, military. Yeah. You yeah. had um, the Sutenland stuff, like being annexed. You had the the further going on of the Nuremberg Laws, which had been enacted in 1935, and it was pretty much saying like if any Pol Jewish Poles in Germany, uh, you might want to get out now. Um, it would take. All Jewish people had to turn in their passports so they could get new ones with J's put on. And yeah. by the time we got to the end of 1938, you had the crystal knocked. So yeah. read the room, people. Oh, man. It, but it was like, this can't possibly really continue. You know, like we were three days ago. This yeah. can't possibly continue. People are better than this. Mm -hmm. And then you go, no, we're going down an even sadder path. Like so, that's what they that's what they said oh. in the 1930s. Yeah. You know, that's what it's so sad. But there were Jewish people in 1938 were like, no. It's, exactly. Even when yeah. they're turning in the passport and getting it back with a J on it. It was like, no, it's people they're gonna wake it's up. Okay. It's, they're not that's gonna let okay. this happen. Oh, Oil wow. was discovered in Saudi Arabia in 1938. Wow. That wasn't good. Superman made its debut in Action Comics number one in 1938. Wow, there you go. Orson Welles did his War of the Worlds in 1938. Um, oh. the, the top box office movies for 1938 were number one, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Number two, Boys Town, and number three, Alexander's Ragtie Band. Wow. And the high hose. Yeah, the high hose. And in July of 1938 was the last reunion of the Blue Gray reunion, commemorating the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg. So in 1938, there were still people alive and celebr and commemorating the Battle of Gettysburg, which, to put it in the context, in 2020, 75 years ago, was 1945. So it's about, like, people our age, like, wow. people my age, like, my mom's age, like, you know, I was old, I'm old enough to have had grandparents that I knew who were in World War II. Right. So in 1938, there are people who their grandparents who were in the, the Civil, Civil War. War. Wow. Okay. To just put that in the context. So then this another nerd alert is all about the song. Okay, I can't go for give it. You anything but love. But love maybe. maybe. So it was introduced by Adelaide Hall in the highly successful Broadway show Blackbirds of 1928. 
which was a musical review starring Adelaide Hall, Bill Bojangles Robinson, Tim uh-huh. Moore, Ada, and Ada Ward. The music was by Jimmy McHugh and lyrics by Dorothy Fields. Blackbirds of 1928 opened on Broadway on January 4th, 1928. And it had 118 showings, which made it the longest running all black show on Broadway. Wow. Our main man, Mantan Moreland, was also in the show. Yeah. So it's pretty wild because she even mentions how it's funny that this cat likes this old this old song. And that the ah. old song in this movie that has nothing to do, like black people do not exist in this film. And yet the song they sing is a song that was made popular from an all black Broadway yeah. show. So that is our people of color. Yeah, that's why. So this is also on the 100 most recorded songs from 1890 to 1954. This is the 24th most recorded song of all time. And legend goes that Fields and McHugh were walking down Fifth Avenue in New York, and they spotted a couple looking at Tiffany's, you know, the jewelry shop. Oh, we know Tiffany. And according to them, they said that they could tell that this couple didn't have the means to afford anything at Tiffany's, which made me... Okay, so this is one of those things where depending on how you're raised and who you are and your outlook in the world and your critical thinking skills on one hand you could just be like oh they must have just been this couple and they had holes in their pockets and you could tell they were poor or or was this a black couple that was looking at tiffany's so these two dorothy and McHugh. They they get a little, you know, they're songwriters, so they sidle up to listen to this couple because they could tell upon first glance that yeah. this couple couldn't afford the Tiffany's. Anything. Yeah. Tiffany. Now, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying, like reading between the lines here. And then the, he, they overhear the man say, gee, honey, I'd like to get you a sparkler like that. But right now, I can't get you nothing but love. And then Dorothy and McHugh look at each other. (laughs) They hear, they sidle up, they hear that. They look at each other and they start booking it to the nearby Steinway Tunnel because they got, they know they got a hit on their hands. They're like, Did you hear? Yeah. I can't give you. And like within an hour. They came up with it. But there's also some um, discrepancy, some debate, because some people say that Fats Waller might have sold the melody to McHugh. And that there's also like other authorship disputes within like other songs and stuff. So that's why I just say like legend has it. Okay. As far as media is concerned, so that was like the 1928. So then 1931... There was a Mickey and Minnie Mouse cartoon called The Birthday Party where Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse sang the song. So I'm thinking that that's where like it really exploded in popularity. Um, and then when we did the movie Stormy Weather, Lena Horne does a version of the song in, Stor- in 1943 Stormy Weather. Hmm. 
So it's just interesting. I was I was blown away when I found out that the song that is the theme of this movie, yeah, was made famous from an all black review. I was like, what? Wow. Well done. Any uh, Christine? Do you have any nerd alerts? Nope, I do not. Excellent. Mm. So we are. Two. Oh, I have. I'm sorry. I have one more, and it's a real downer, guys. Okay. Take a dr- everybody take a drink. This, yeah, you're going to need to take a drink for this. So, from 1920 to 1938, because this movie came out in 1938, so that's why I included it, there was a flag bearing the words, a man was lynched yesterday, and it was flown outside the national headquarters of the NAACP. And it started in the 1920s because um, in 1919... No, I think in 1916, there was the lynching of Jesse Washington, and that happened in Waco, Texas, and 10,000 spectators watched him get mutilated, burned, lynched, Mm. and you've seen the pictures because it's the ones that make you cringe of all the people who are watching, like 10,000 people came out. And would bring in children to see that. The children yeah. left the school to watch and to go and to see the it. Pictures in the newspaper. Postcards. Postcards. Yes. yes. Were sent out. And so that it was that lynching that started. He was 17 years old. Um, it was that lynching that started the NAACP to fly a flag out whenever a man was lynched. Wow. They said a man was lynched wow. yesterday. And it ended in 1938 because... The landlords threatened to evict the NAACP if they yeah, kept the doing lynching it. didn't stop. Yeah, they it just was, had to stop flying the flag. It was the landlords who were like, mm. "Yeah," because they owned the building. Mm-hmm. So they, they were in the dominant caste, and it just made them feel uncomfortable to be reminded. I know. Do I really have to talk about these things? I don't like it makes me feel We're to recasting. Well, I, wait, have... I have one reheatable. Oh, yes. I mean, not reheatable, Nerler. I mm-hmm. think that nobody's talked about. Did we talk about leopards in Brazil? No. No. So Susan says her brother trapped baby when he was hunting in Brazil. Uh-huh. But there are no leopards, which is an African-Asian animal in Brazil. There are, however, jaguars, which bear a passing resemblance to leopards. Okay. The animal shown is clearly a leopard, the telltale sign being a lack of dots in the center of each rosette. Oh, wow. And correctly called such, even if the continent of origin is incorrectly named. So it is a leopard, but it was not caught in Brazil. It couldn't have been. Excellent. Oh, interesting. I wondered about all that, but I didn't uh, wonder enough to go down the rabbit hole. Yes. Nice. Nice work. Okay. So we are to recasting. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go out on a limb and I'm going to make an assumption, which makes an ass out of you and me, that Christine didn't do one. Did not. <laughs> so I'm not an ass, nor is she. So I have two. I have two as well. I only did David and Susan. That's all I did. Okay. So my first one, I went with my black cast. Mm -hmm. So it had to be people who were 
like the the guy had to be good looking but not totally realizing that he's good looking being able to be a fumbling person on the spectrum <laughs> so i did lakeith stanfield oh yes as my david and his susan is one of my faves zazzy Beats. beats yes yes i like that because one thing, the hair, Catherine Hepburn's hair kept bouncing so much, and I knew Zazie's hair could bounce. Mm-hmm. So you want me to go with my my uh, white people? Sure. Okay. So first, my David was Ryan Gosling, just because he can do that. But I went with, when Bradley Cooper was on... Um, Alias? Uh, Alias. He was a nerd. Oh, okay. So I went with Bradley Cooper. And, okay, so I have two different Susans. One could be, of course, Emma Stone. Mm-hmm. She could totally do it. I also went with Elle Fanning, because if you've watched The Great, you can see that she has good uh, comedic timing. Mm, and okay. she could do, yeah, she could do that as well. Oh, I like those. Solid. Okay, I went with two casts of color. One is an all-time cast. And one would be a now cast. So which would you like to hear first? All time, all time, all time, all time. My all time? Okay. All time cast. I haven't ever seen. I feel like this woman got shortchanged out of comedic timing. I don't even know if she even had comedic timing. But because of the cast system, we weren't allowed to even. I don't think she was even allowed to to see what could be. Um. So my Susan, Ruby D. And then, wouldn't it be great and hilarious, yes, to go with David, her husband in real life, Ozzy Davis. Yes! So, oh, that would be, that's, I got chills. That would be such a feel-good movie. Because Ruby D would, was, would never have been given a part like this. To, so who even knows what would happen? And yes. then my, my cast this time, I already mentioned her earlier because the first, because I watched her show and then I watched this and I was just struck. I was like, oh my gosh, Amber Ruffin is totally Susan. She could totally easily be Susan in this movie, pull off the charming bit, all of it, the scatter, just nail it. And then for her David, I went with John David Washington. And ah. I'm really excited to see an Amber Ruffin, John David Robinson, John David Washington screwball comedy. Hilarious. Maybe we'll give them a platform. <laughs> Maybe one of our 13 listeners has That's the juice. ear of somebody who can green like this. <laughs> okay, tasty nuggets. I'm going to let somebody else go because I tend to step on other people's stuff. Well, I'll go. Um, so we already talked, well, we talked about the leopard a little bit, but... Catherine Hepburn had one close call with the leopard. She had like a skirt that had metal inside of it to keep it shape. And the leopard lunged at the skirt and then the trainer had to whip it to get it. I know. Um, But also Cary Grant did not like the leopard. And so Catherine Hepburn just wanted to fuck with him. So she found like a stuffed leopard and put it in the air vent of his trailer or something. And she thought he ran out of it real fast. Um, and then 
You just said that Superman was first released in 1938. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Reeve based his performance of Clark Kent on 1978 Superman and its three sequels on David Huxley's character. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we, I was like, oh, he, he did. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's true. Is that it? Yeah, that's it for me. Do you want to go, Ma, or you want me to go? Go ahead. Um, In the short story, David and Susan were the ones that were engaged, and David was not a scientist. There was no museum. Um, the brother sent a Black Panther for the aunt that they must capture, and so that's when the hijinks ensued. Oh, so they okay. changed the The authors changed it, added all that stuff. Harold, okay, so his glasses, that's Harold Lloyd. Um, yes. And Cary Grant was kind of like, I don't like, how do you want me to play this? What? And so Howard Hawks was like, just play, be Harold Lloyd. And Harold Lloyd was actually considered for this role. That's how much everybody was like, oh, it's a Harold Lloyd. It's a Harold Lloyd. Um, and the round glasses, though, also for John Ford. Remember, we read about John yes, Ford in Maureen yes. O'Hara's biography and difficult, interesting man. Ooh, so, yeah. And had a relationship or, uh, uh, I mean, they, they worked together, like Catherine Hepburn and stuff. So it was a, there's a weird bit with that. Um, you already mentioned the gay reference. I just went gay all of a sudden. <laughs> Oh, but the, like I, in the well, actually, like the internet, they, that it's debated whether a lot of times they say that it's the first reference. But there was a 1933 film, My Weakness, and a 1934 film, My Side of Heaven. Oh, okay. Which they it, gay was also in there, but I had never heard of either of those films, so it could be the question of like, well, the winner writes the history, so. Yeah, it is yeah, the first one, true. or who knows? Um, it was Howard Hawks' friend Howard Hughes who suggested Cary Grant. Cary Grant had just done the Awful Truth, and that was a hu- big success. And Cary Grant was nervous about playing such an intellectual character, and that's when they were like, "Hey, just be like um, uh, Harold Lloyd and stuff, and you ah. know, just, just go with it." Um. This was the second of four Hepburn and Grant movies. They also were in Sylvia Scarlet, Holiday, and The Philadelphia Story. The Peter Bogdanovich film with, oh, what's his face? Ryan something and Barbara Streisand. Tatum o- Ryan O'Neill. The What's Up Doc film. That's a, uh-huh. an homage to this film. Oh, okay. When uh, Susan calls David Jerry the Nipper, that's what Irene Dunn's nickname for Grant's character in The Awful Truth was. And that was the film that he had done before. And oh, wow. the dog, George, was also in The Awful Truth. Oh, yeah, so, George. So that was kind of fun if people had gone in the 30s and be like, Jerry the Nipper, that oh. was in the... Oh, wow. Um... Susan's character is what is described as an early version of the manic pixie dream girl. And that was a term that was com- that was developed by Nathan Rabin. He coined the term and it quote, 
the character exists solely in the fevered imaginations of sensitive writer-directors to teach brooding, soulful young men to embrace life and the infinite mysteries and adventures. Wow. And then in 2014, Robin retracted the term because everybody was just tossing around the manic pixie dream girl to just everything. And critics were kind of just lazily putting it on. So then it kind of did this boomerang effect where people were like, well, wait, are we just being misogynistic by just labeling all of these characters as manic pixie dream girl? So it's it's that weird thing of like... There's probably it's probably two things are both true at the same time because I like, yeah, I could see how. But her character, I don't know. There just seems to be more. I've watched movies where you could definitely be like, yeah, she was just this whole figment of a writer director, like in Garden State, Natalie Portman's character. Yeah. Where you're just like, wait, what is her like? What's her inner workings? But because Howard Hawks was known for strong female types, I don't know. It, like, I'm just saying, I don't know. That, I think it's just one of those things that smarter people can look into and read. And that there's also the um, element of misogyny that's also kind of come back to it. So, um, The dress scene was based on an incident that happened with Cary Grant. Apparently, when he was at the Roxy, his zipper was down. Yeah. And it got mm. caught on the dress oh, yeah. of a woman. Yeah. Ah, interesting. interesting. Yeah. And, and he told, and then it ripped. He was he, just tucking in his shirt. Yeah. He was just tucking in his so, shirt. So, Hollywood, crazy clubs. Um, and I already mentioned, like, how Howard Hawks you know, when the movie came out, wasn't that great success? And he looked at it and he's like, uh, you know what? If I had to do it again, I would put a normal person in there. But mm-hmm. I think it's just fine the way it was. It was just ahead of its time. Sometimes things are just ahead of its time. Yeah, because where would you put the normal person? It would be a secondary role. But the normal like person the- would, it would make everybody else so crazy. And part yeah. of the thing that of why I think this movie ages well is because when we watch it in 2020, it's very easy for us to just be like, man, phew, 1938, guys, wild. Right, <laughs> you right. Know? Like, it's easy for us to just be like, yeah, well, everybody was crazy back then, you know? Well, I have RKO wanted more romance and less slapstick. Oh. Mm. And Catherine Hep. Burn, uh, because they were labeling her box office poison, she bought out her contract from Mm -hmm. RKO because, like, she was, like, at the bottom of the bottom and she had to rebuild herself, which she did. Carol Lombard was considered for the, the role of Susan, and she was supposed to be a fantastic comedian. She actress. is. We have to do a Carol Lombard film. Yeah, because, she, because when she I read then, that, yeah, I was like, oh, she would have been really good. She was the, the what I understand as the love of the life of Rhett Butler. Clark Gable. Clark Gable. Yeah, she died in a plane crash because she was doing war bond stuff for the yeah. Second World War. Yeah. 
And they had just like gotten together because he had to divorce his wife to be able to marry her. Okay. Um, this the um, museum parts were shot at the Los Angeles Museum of Natural History. Oh, I've never been. I was oh. supposed to go. Twenty twenty was supposed to be my year of Los Angeles culture. Yeah. Well, twenty twenty two. Yes. Um, it's it's considered the fourteenth funniest film of all time. Mm-hmm. Now, I the the Connecticut house, I was fascinated. Mm-hmm. I love the Dutch doors, you know, where the top oh, yeah. can open. Um, and Howard Hanks's wife used the plans for the house in the movie to actually build their house, their her house. Who's probably Howard in Hanks? Los Angeles. Howard Hanks. Who was the Howard Hawks? Hawks. Oh, okay. Howard oh, yeah. Hughes, it, Howard Hawks. Yeah. My N looks like, my my W looks like an N. Sorry. Well, that was a film. That's a house that was filmed that I I don't remember where. I looked, it, I remember reading about it, but because that was stuff that was filmed in the Valley. Because when I saw it, I was like, that looks like a house in Toluca Lake. It was a pretty cool house to me. Um, you know, Cary Grant, you always hear him doing Judy, Judy, Judy. He never did that, but in this movie, he did Susan, Susan, Susan. Oh. That's the end of my Tasty Nuggets. I have have one last Tasty Nugget. So this film came in way over budget and way over scheduled, and Howard Hawks blamed that on Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant because they kept cracking up. Like, they would just get into fits of laughter, but... Howard Hughes also liked to Howard Hawks. Oh yeah, Howard Hawks also liked to well, you know, maybe cut a day short to go out on the links, Ah. and there were a lot of like days where he was like, oh, so it wasn't just the stars, and that they kept getting into laughing fits and giggles and stuff like that, which you could kind of see, just like I, I could see how they would just start cracking up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, it looked like everybody had a good time. Yeah, except the people <laughs> in New York City and the Midwest who are having yeah. none of it. <laughs> and there's that. So next week. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, I... We're going off recent events where, you know, we've had a victory, but there's still work to be done. A lot of work to be done. Um, do you have any guesses yet? <laughs> I mean, okay, maybe, maybe a tiny more. Um, 2020. 2020. 2020. That's the movie? Is the year is 2020? Okay, we're not going movie, we're going documentary. Documentary. <gasps> oh, that was a drink. Everybody has I to take a look. an executive decision. It's 2020. Are we doing time? No. <laughs> um, we've heard a lot this week about Stacey Abrams. Mm. Yes. And about voter suppression and 
you know, she did a lot of work in Georgia, but if there was a Stacey Abrams in, every, in some other states, I feel like some other states would turn out differently. Um, Texas. North Carolina. Stacey Abrams, um, national treasure. Yeah. Secretary so, of whatever the fuck she wants. Uh, I are, think run the Democratic Party, Stacey Abrams. At first, I was trying to figure out movies about presidents or elections, and all yeah. I could was either Lincoln or Election Day. Oh. Right. And I didn't want to watch either of those. Yeah. Um, There's so the candidate. I, yeah. Well, I found a documentary. Mm -hmm. It's on, it came out in September on Prime. September on Prime. What's it called? It's called All In the Fight for Democracy. So the interesting... Yes. Did you watch it already? No. no. Oh, okay. Is this uh, the one that's produced? I believe she helped produce it, but I might be wrong in that. Um, It's interesting because in, when I looked it up on the, uh, like the Amazon ratings, it's... 51% five star and 49% one star. There's nothing in between. Wow. That and is so like, our country right I now. I know. And the one star was all like this liberal, liberal shit. Like, you know, whatever. But then Rotten Tomatoes has 100%. Okay. And the people that did it also did some other important things that I could tell you about probably next week. I don't know. Okay. Uh, but basically, filmmakers. Lisa Garbus and Lisa Cortez, Liz Garbus and Lisa Cortez examine the history of voter suppression and the activists who fight for the rights of U.S. citizens. Nice. I, right it, on time, too. It's just, Excellent. It's just mind-boggling because I don't, like, look, I know that when it comes to, if you're asking me my policies, because I remember in 12th grade in civics class, we took a questionnaire and we had to write down our answers. And then based on that, you know, you had to go up on the board and you had to put where you were. It was like they had the middle and then it was like to the right and to the left. All right. Mm -hmm. And you're just filling out these questions. And it was like, oh, you, you know, and so you just built it was just a, these opinion questions. And it's, you know, the kids know it's like the BuzzFeed questions. I tallied up my total and had to go up on the board and put it up there. I was so far on the left that I was not on, I was on the chalkboard and not on the piece of paper. <laughs> and it was at that point that I realized, look, I'm going to have to just compromise a lot of like the things of like what I personally think, like we're not going to do. And that's fine because it needs to be balanced out. It would probably be a disaster if we did everything that I wanted to do. Yeah. I think that's a good point. When I was watching CNN last night, they were like, people keep talking about like, Everybody needs to. People are upset that it's not the Democrats aren't overtaking the and like it's not all Democrats like running right. the country, but like that's not the point of our country. Like there's, we should be running. Like we should be able to. You know, we need all different kinds of people running the country, but there's a line that has to be drawn, and you need to be able to get the votes of all different kinds of people. Right. And there were not right now. Mm -hmm. Right. It's yeah. It's like, like when it comes to the economy, when it comes like people want the government, when they want the the deficit, all of that. I know that that would balance out all of those things. Like I'm not 
I want to make it clear that if you're voting because you believe in less government in your life or you want lower taxes or you want like cap, you know, you're super hardcore capitalist and stuff like I'm not against capitalism. I understand where the balance needs to be. My problem is that I don't get like how I my views on the economy and all of that stuff. That doesn't, I, I don't have the luxury of that being my number one issue. Like my number right. one issue is just people thinking that I, that my existence matters, that I am yeah. afforded all of the inconvenient truths that the declaration, that the constitution, when it says that all people are created equal, that that applies to me. And unfortunately, I don't get to parse it of like, well, I like like the and I like I don't some people if you're like lucky enough where you get to just look at the candidates and decide based on that. I don't get to. I have to look at like, do you think that I matter? (laughs) That's and when I gave birth to you in 1980. I felt like I didn't feel like this was going to at your 40th birthday still be an issue. I really didn't. Well, that's what's incredible about like reading even, I mean, the reviews for it are, uh, people watched it. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know that I believe that these people watched it. Yeah. I gave it the one star review. But it is still incredible that 49% of our country still believes this. But either way, thought it would be a... Yeah, yeah. because that's where we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's our reality. So we can't go back and go 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that much about Stacey. You know, I've read this week some. and Right, right. But Excellent. I don't know and... Just, so we're going from 1938 to 2020. Yep, yeah, that's what see, we do and see on Gone how, with the Yeah, and see, and that's why I, I'm trying. I'm really getting away from the whole thing of because it, it is in there, but of talking of it of what it is and cast and how when you go to the doctor. You don't, or to to go back to the analogy about the house and you see, and you look up and there's a part of your house and there's a leaking spot. Are you going to just paint over the leaking spot and let the rot spread? Or are you like, oh man. That's what landlords did, but. Yeah, that's what a lot of, that's what mine did too. That's what people do is that they, and that's the American way is to just paste over it. But that doesn't solve the problem that is structural. It's a struggle. And and like, yeah, 40 years ago, because you thought like, yeah, because you didn't realize like that the structure is rotten, like that we need to go in and replace the beams that are holding the house up. One of the reviews says absolute garbage, liberal garbage. And 1,139 people found that helpful. Yeah. Because that's, that's what it is, is that it's polarized. If like if I'm yeah. a liberal, then that means that I disagree with everything that you say. The problem is, is that if... Meanwhile, if- my friend, my, like, one of my best friends lives in Atlanta, Rory, and she got a letter the day before election day that her polling place had changed. And she lives down the street from where Stacey Abrams went to high school. 
Mm, wow. wow. But the, I know that Rory found a place where she could vote, though. Well, she voted early. She voted. Right. She, yeah. Right. She voted early. But, anyway, but she was like, what if I had it? And... Right. Exactly. Look at all the people who hadn't and didn't have a way to get to a different polling yeah. place. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. and that like that has been the way that it has been since right. the the beginning and it and it's it's hard though for people because there because there are people who will watch this like bringing up baby and you will watch bringing up baby and get swept away and not think like well wait a second you'll just think like this is great this is america this is how it should be and it's just the you know right. the penthouse and stuff and when you're but now, we have things like this to learn from and watch. I mean, Stacey Abrams just has been, I mean, she's been doing this work for a long time, but since 2018 and two years did all of this work. Mm-hmm. And now we have four years till the next presidential election, but. And you know right. that there are going to be people who they, because that was something that you did not hear a lot about, but that is there either consciously or subconsciously in that other half of the country of who the VP is. And people didn't really talk about it, but it's the same kind of thing. But yes, now the United States of America has a black South Asian woman as the vice president to a man who is not a young man. No, I know. And there, and even within like the black community, like I was listening to the Janelle Hill podcast, the Unbothered podcast, and how they was talking about how you know that Republicans on the presidential side picked up more support amongst, um, you know, black men, and it's like, well, yeah, but there's also a lot of black men who aren't real happy. Of, like the patriarchy works for them. Like the whole other right. system does it. And so there's like levels to the cast. It's not just one cast. There's different levels within different casts and stuff. And it's like, oh, wait a second. Yeah. So, you know, and black people aren't a monolith, just like Latinos aren't a monolith. They aren't just a block and they all agree on exactly the same thing. I mean, they agree on one thing, which is that their lives matter, but, <laughs> you know. And that's what I did this last week was just randomly start laughing out loud twice an hour. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> oh, okay. We are, we were sitting there watching the we we switched to Fox News this morning just to see how the other side lives. Yeah, and we we're just watching it, and Adam was like, "Wow, they're mad, huh?" Yeah, and I, <laughs> they have Lindsey Graham on there. Oh, Jesus. Oh, he needs there's to that Beyonce him. song from the oh they feel away oh wow <laughs> <laughs> they feel away yeah and so don't rest on your laurels if you think that democracy and voting and all of that stuff matters that's why I think it's fantastic that we are doing this movie because you saw what happened after Barack Obama was elected president and the pendulum and to every action, there's an oh, equal and opposite reaction. Yep. 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 And you asked Stacey Abrams about it because if she had been in governor, she wouldn't have had time to organize true. all of this. That's true. true. That's true. Okay. Listeners next week, all in the fight for democracy. 
and we will be here then.